It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is locked on Jazz for the 21st of January. The Jazz, brilliant again, beating up on a tired Pacer group. Because payback is a... Is this sustainable? How good can the Jazz offense really be? And it's a Time Machine Tuesday. All coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. Pow! How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast of the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan. Thanks to a bunch of messages recently on Twitter. Twitter's a nice place when you have won 12 of 13 and 17 of 19. Uh, So thank you. A bunch of nice messages. I got one the other day from someone who said that they had been a Jazz fan their entire life. And uh, just started listening to Locked on Jazz. Didn't think it could be better to be a Jazz fan, but it is. I thought that was uh, really nice. It's why I do it. The the incredible uh, fan base that we have uh, is the motivator here. Uh, did you guys hear Quinn Snyder about Jazz fans last night? Uh, Coach's Show, which is available for you on the Utah Jazz Podcast. We put the Coach's Show, we put Postcat, uh, we put uh, Jazz Game Rewind, and we put the whole Jazz broadcast up on the Utah Jazz Radio Podcast. You can subscribe to that on all the formats. If it's not on a format you want, please let us know. But I, I thought you should hear uh, what Quinn had to say, and then we'll dig into the game, and then I've dug in to try to figure out whether this re- absurd offense, nightly offensive explosion is, is all at all sustainable. Uh, to what the Jazz are doing right now. Uh, so we'll we'll look at that today and then Time Machine Tuesday. So let, let's first hear uh, what Quinn had to say uh, about the Jazz fans and how Jazz fandom's a little different than other places. There's some places where the fans understand and connect with the team. And then there's another level where fans kind of see beyond um, to an individual player and and uh, whether it's he's playing well or he's back from an injury or in Mike's case or you know guys that kind of need support at a given time during the game um, they're really really intuitive um, and like you know compassionate when need be you know fiery when need be they've just got a great feel for the game and how you know their role and, and I think our fans they're not just observers, you know. They're not typical sports fans. They're jazz fans, and there's a difference between being a sports fan and a jazz fan. Well, Quinn obviously says that better than than any of us can. Pretty incredible. Um, love that that they're really, really intuitive and compassionate when they need to be fiery, when they need to be, and just have a great feel for the game and their role. I think our fans are not just observers, not typical sports fans. They're jazz fans. There's a difference between being a sports fan and a jazz fan. Super cool uh, comment. There from Quinn Snyder. Jazz were brilliant last night. Uh, I think all of us are going through this stretch here as they can't lose and wondering how good they might be. And there's this kind of, you know, I'm running the numbers and, you know, Emmanuel Moutier did a nice job. And now all of a sudden, if you take Emmanuel Moutier out of the lineup and you put Mike Conley in, like, there's not a negative five-man lineup anymore. Like, you can start running the numbers and this gets 
pretty exciting. And then they have moments like last night where, frankly, I was just giddy at one point in the broadcast. I think it was with Thurl, and we were in this maybe second quarter, maybe it was third quarter, and suddenly you're up 25 on a really good Pacer team, a tired Pacer team. And I think that's relevant in the sense they couldn't make shots last night. But I also think, you know, that's part of the game is that when you get a tired team that you're able to put it on them in such a fashion that you uh, it, it, it promotes their fatigue, really, is what you You just make it hard on them and they don't want to fight through it. That's what Rudy did. They made something like 9 of 13 non-restricted area twos in the first quarter, which is just not a way you can live in the NBA. And then the, as that began to fall apart, the game began to fall apart and the Jazz uh, were dominant. The defense was the story last night, which is nice because the defense has not been particularly good recently. The defense was very good against Charlotte. Uh, and very good against Detroit. And other than that, they have not had one of their defensive, you know, our number has always been keeping people under a point of possession. Um, And we've only done that since December 1st. Uh, We did it in a loss against Philadelphia. We did it to Atlanta on the December 19th and won that game despite not very good offense. Uh, Did it to Detroit when we actually didn't have a very good offensive game, did it against Charlotte when our offense was, by the end, pretty good, and did it last night. And it is interesting that there is some correlation to when the offense is not as good, then the defense steps up. Last night's defense was the third best defensive performance of the year by the Utah Jazz. Uh, the offense was the 16th best, so they by the end, it was just a brilliant, brilliant performance. Uh, Rudy dominated inside. Indiana's legs were tired, couldn't make shots, and they took advantage. But I'll give it to Donovan. It's the same thing as the night when Donovan was sick uh, and Donovan, you know, kind of came out and set the tone with by getting up into Devontae. I think it was against Charlotte, maybe. And then Dante doesn't play, uh, Donovan doesn't play in Washington. Donovan, you know, the, the all the guys at the press meetings in the shoot-around report uh, the other day said, hey, they were the aggressors. They came out. They got into us. Donovan came out and just got into... The Jeremy Lamb, I think, on the opening possession. Royce O'Neal got into Malcolm Brogdon, and the Jazz just made a physical presence immediately into that ballgame to kind of establish that they were there, which they didn't against Indiana last time. Frankly, any of the last three meetings with Indiana, as Indiana had blown the Jazz out in three games in a row. So that, I think, was kind of the coolest part about last night was just – these this team's understanding of what's going on, what they have to do to be successful, uh, following the scouting reports. The, the defense was very connected last night. We're seeing a lot of plays in which you know Rudy switches on to the ball handler, and our guy has to then switch back to the roller, and they're intercepting or knocking away that pass. That's that's a sign of about as good connectivity as you can have as a group. Uh, the other one that we're just seeing is that the offense is great. The ball is pinging around, um, and we are just, you know, a bona fide elite-level catch-and-shoot team. And last night, we weren't incredible at it. Royce was one of five. George was two of four. Jordan Clarkson was one of three. Boyan was one of three. Donovan was two of three, and Joe was one of one on catch-and-shoots. So it wasn't as though there was anything crazy that took place last night. You know, that's it's, but that's what we are. That's the thing that just jumps out to me right now is that's eight of 19 on catch and shoots. Um, We'd like to get more than that, 
not that easy when teams won't let you. We go 8 of 19, that's 42%. That's exactly who we are. And you're now, part of what's happening is we have two forces offensively that are so significant that teams just have to react to both of them. One of them is Rudy rolling to the rim, and he's been huge. And then the other is this catch-and-shoot game. You just can't leave our shooters. And if you do, they're hitting 42% of their threes, which is, you can do that math along with me. That's, you know, in a league where the league average is 1.09 points per possession, we're hitting 1.26 every time we get a catch-and-shoot three. It's a big difference. So a super impressive performance last night. Uh, one offensive change has taken place that's jumped out to me, and then let's look at the last stretch of 13 games where the Jazz are 12-1 and one since Jordan Clarkson joined the team and try to figure out what is actually legitimately sustainable as the sample size continues to grow and grow and grow. Today's show is brought to you by Murdoch Hyundai, located at 4646 South State Street. I'm driving the Palisade uh, right now. It is everything that everyone's written about, talked about. All the bells and whistles, I'll admit, I love this the heated uh, steering wheel. Uh, the self-driving aspects of it and the cruise control are awfully nice as it's making the turns down I-80 for me. It's sitting in the cruise control uh, at the right speed, and then if a car comes in, it slows itself down. Every bell, every whistle, it's like having a major luxury SUV. The spacing inside of the Palisades amazing. It drives beautifully. It's super comfortable. Check it out. It's all at Hyundai. The SUV lineup includes the Tucson along with the Santa Fe, which we've already purchased, and the zippy little Kona. The new Elantra is kind of cool as well. And the Sonata. Stop by 4646 South State Street. If Hyundai's not on your list, add it to your list and at least take a look. Stop by the showroom and see what they can get for you and see what you can get for your dollar. But please email me first and let me know you're stopping by, whether it's in Logan or in <clears throat> Linden or at 4646 South State Street. I'd like to know if you're stopping by so we can get you set up before you go there and get you a quick and VIP experience as a locked on jazz, jazz listener. That is Murdoch Hyundai. When you start the hiring process, you may have questions. Will we find a good applicant to choose from? What education experience? How will we know what we... We've made the right hire. Well, Indeed is here to help. Millions of great candidates use Indeed every day to find their next opportunity. You can post jobs in minutes. Use the screener questions to help create your short list of applicants. And you can do it fast. Also, add skills tests to your job posts so you can be confident in your applicants' abilities. The library of more than 50 skills tests range from industry-specific skills like accounting to general aptitude tests like critical thinking. The Locked On Podcast Network is actually looking for some salespeople right now, and we've used Indeed to post our jobs. Indeed gives you the smart tools to make hiring decisions quickly and be confident that you're making the right hire for your team. Post your job today at Indeed.com slash LockedOn and get a free sponsored job upgrade on your first posting. That's Indeed.com slash LockedOn. Terms, conditions, exclusions apply. Offer valid through March 31st of 2020. That's Indeed.com slash LockedOn. The biggest change that I'm seeing in the Jazz offense right now is the outlet passes. Rudy and Tony Bradley are rebounding and getting the ball out. And it, it, we could stem it to December 24th. I mean, if you stem all of our statistics to December 24th, everything looks, looks brilliant because, frankly, we've just been that good um, since December 24th. But I think that the other thing to look at is how... Um, 
is a little further back, it, it kicked in. But some of the interesting notes here uh, between in that time period is that the Jazz off defensive rebounds, which, you know, we Ron always talks about running to score. And we didn't run to score a lot in the early going. Uh, and now if you look at us off defensive rebounds in the last 13 games, we're the number one team in the league off of defensive rebounds. We're at 1.33 points off a defensive rebound so when and 1.14 off a made shot and actually we're less good off a turnover than we are for defensive rebound we're not particularly quick we're just getting out and into our offense more quickly at least what I'm seeing and then that's allowing the offense to to get kind of into its flow and create things Quinn made some adjustments as well we've also got better players uh with the Jordan Clarkson acquisition but the offense is a 1.33 off of a defensive rebound since Jordan Clarkson joined the team. Next best in the league is Boston at 1.2. And then New Orleans at 1.19. We've played them. You can really feel how they push it and get it up the floor. We're still taking the most time of anyone in the league with the basketball. We're the slowest pace of play team since Clarkson joined the team, having holding the ball for 15.5 seconds per possession. But we're the number one offense in that span. Uh, And it's an interesting, so what I'm seeing is these earlier outlet passes, which are then allowing the offense to get into itself, which is then allowing us to have these incredible possessions where the ball pings around the gym and everyone is touching it and it's, uh, and it's leading to, you know, uh, these kind of raucous reactions from the crowd as the, everyone fires up as the jazz, um, fan base loves what they're seeing and, and, Everyone's going nuts because that those you know that's just great basketball and it's happening multiple times a night right now with the team. All right, so since Jordan Clarkson's joined the team, the Jazz are twelve and one. They're the best team in the league. Their offense is a one twenty one point nine. The Mavericks' offense is a one sixteen point six. That's the second best in the NBA. Uh, just out of interest, by the way, the top eight teams in the league offensively since. December 24th are all Western Conference teams. So, you know, this is really why we had to get better offensively because what was happening to us in the past is even though our defense was super good, we would hold down the other team's offense enough from their average, but we couldn't get our offense up high enough. Um, So Utah, Dallas, Memphis, Clippers, Lakers, Spurs, Pelicans, Nuggets are the top offenses in the league. We're 121.9. What parts of this are unrealistic? I think that's like worth trying to dig into. So our shooting is at 58.7% effective field goal percentage. That that feels high. Um, our pace of play, as I mentioned, is one of the slowest in the league, so we're not doing anything crazy there. 58.7 feels a little high, but maybe not. Like, I mean, our we just talked about our catch and shoot numbers are 42% for the season. Nobody's having an outlandish run. Ingles is probably a little hot. Maybe Royce, com- I mean, it, maybe there's something there that's a little unusual. So let's say that, you know, our shooting drops a tad over some time here just because it's it's probably impossible to shoot at that rate at 58 points. But it drops maybe to 56, and we're one of the best teams in the league. Our free throw rate is not outlandish at all. In fact, it's bad. We're 25th in the league in that. We're not turning the ball over. We did last night, but we're sixth best in the league at not turning the ball over. That's a really quantum big change to where we were before. And our offensive rebounding is ninth. So what happened is earlier this year, we were in the bottom 10 in both 
turnover rate and in rebounding rate. And as I talked about, you can't be bottom 10 in both. We did a bunch of research on it. There's only been one offensive team in the whole time in the league in the last six years that's been bottom 10 in both and above average offensively. You really couldn't do that. That was the thing I was most concerned about. Well, we've rectified that. We're now ninth. Tony Bradley's having a huge impact on that. Um, Defensively, we're the fifth best team against the shot in this time period. That's not really that surprising. Uh, We're the fourth best team in the league at not fouling. That's actually not surprising. We're last in the league or 25th in the league in forcing turnovers. That's exactly who we are. And our rebounding numbers are right in the middle of the pack defensively. Wish those were a little better. Okay, but so defensively, there's nothing strange. The only thing that's happening is we're making a really high rate of shots. Uh, Maybe a percentage to a point. But I do think we're probably one of the best shooting teams in the league. I think that's... So we're at 58.7. The best in the league is Milwaukee at 55.8. We, in theory, we should come down a little. Maybe not in, this, uh, in that we're just loaded with shooters. So there's not, like, nothing jumps out that's crazy there. Well, maybe it's because we've played bad teams. Well, I went through the 13 teams we've played. And, I mean, it's incredible. Start at the beginning. Against Portland, we were 15 points better than their average. Against the Clippers, we were 18 points better. Against Detroit... It's the only game in which we spent where we were below what Detroit, our offensive rating was below what Detroit allows. Chicago, we were plus two. Orlando, plus 14. New Orleans, plus 18. The Knicks, plus 21. Charlotte, plus three. Washington, plus 12. Brooklyn, plus 15. New Orleans, plus six. Sacramento, plus 18. And last night, plus 12. So for this run, we've played the average defense we've played is a 110.1. A 110.1. League average is about 109. Actually, 109.5. So the defenses we've played are a slight bit less good than league average. But a slight bit. We're still functioning. 109.5 would make you the 18th best defense in the league. Actually, league average defense right now is 109.1. Our defense at 110.1 would make you the 19th ranked defense in the league. So we haven't played Milwaukee, Toronto, LA, 76ers, Boston, top five defenses in the league in this stretch. We beat Orlando, and we played Orlando. We were 14 points better than league average. We played the Clippers, who were seventh, and we were 18 points better than average against them. We played Chicago, who's ninth, and we were two points better. We played Indiana, who's 10th, and we are 12 points better than average. Played Brooklyn, who's 12th. And we're 15 points better than their average. So we played some of them. Haven't played any of the top five. We played all the six through tens. And we'll see coming up here. Because we will play against Denver, who's 11th, twice coming up here. But even in this upcoming stretch where we're playing better teams, by the way, what's going to be interesting for us offensively our next game is against Golden State, who ranks 21st defensively. Then we start playing the better teams. We play Dallas, but they're 16th. They play Houston, they're 17th. Play San Antonio, they're 23rd defensively. Play Denver, that's 11th. Then go play Portland, who's 24th. Play Denver, then play Portland again. Then play Houston and Dallas again. For wrapping him against Miami, who's 14th. So we don't play a bunch of the top defenses coming in the All-Star break. There's a chance this offense just keeps churning. But the key thing here is the offense is 12 points better than the average of the conglomerate of defenses we've already played. 
12 points better. So our offensive rating since adding Jordan Clarkson is a 122, which is just a silly, silly, silly number. And the league average of what we've played is a 110. We're 12 points better than what an average team would have done against those defenses. It's incredible. And nothing seems outlandish. I mean, the turnover number might be unrealistic against better teams. We turned the ball over. We did it again last night. But we did it again last night, and our offensive rating was a 115.4, and we turned the ball over an outrageous amount last night, 20% of our possessions. So it might, what I'm telling you is there's all sorts of signs that's sustainable. Which is crazy, right? It's just, you know, we'll see. It's time to be giddy. Right now, everything that we imagine to this team that Justin Zanuck and Dennis Lindsay put together is happening. And Quinn Snyder is masterpiecing it. And, you know, Tony Bradley's playing well defensively. And suddenly, you know, Tony Bradley's having incredible impact on the offensive side of the ball. He, he was... He was really good on the offensive glass last night. And his offensive rebounding rate is making a difference. It's it's kind of wild. It's kind of fun, frankly. Uh, I hope you're loving it. You know, it, and, and in theory, it should, at some point, it probably slows down. But we'll see. This is an interesting stretch because we're playing very good teams, but we're not playing elite defensive teams. And that, to me, is going to be the sign of, is if when we're playing better teams, yet they're not great defensive teams, do we still toast them? By the way, Tony Bradley's offensive rebounding rate in the last 13 games is 14.4%. 14, that means that on 14% of a misses while he's on the floor, he's getting an offensive rebound. That's a pretty big number. In fact, the leaders in the league... Tony's at 14.7 for the season. Rudy Gobert is at 11. For guys who actually play, the leader in the league is Ennis Kanter at 15. And I've always thought Ennis has a value. Tony Bradley, of guys who are playing 10 minutes a night, has the second highest offensive rebounding rate of anyone in the league. It's a that's He's got a special skill there that matters. So I know everybody's looking for their next backup center. Be careful on that one. Tony's playing pretty well defensively, and that offensive rebounding rate is real. Of guys that play at least 10 minutes a game, Tony Bradley is second in the league at 14.7. Steven Adams, third. Zubak, Boucher in Toronto, Zubak, and Andre Drummond are next. Ennis Kanter is the only person with a higher rebounding rate who plays 10 minutes a night than Tony Bradley. Sunprint Solutions and Sarah over at Sunprint Solutions. It's been really fun to get to know Sarah and her company. It's a really cool story. So Sarah and her business partner are working at Sunprint Solutions out in West Valley. Great company. Do all your printing needs. uh, And the company's up for sale. So they buy the company, now Utah owned, and Sunprint Solutions can do anything. They do everything from a, you know, for our clients, they can... Inter, intercap lending could use Sunprint Solutions because they have the certifications and the qualifications to do financial documents and all the security to do financial documents. Uh, Sunprint Solutions could, as you, Utah Jazz have used Sunprint Solutions, they wouldn't tell me for what, so I don't know what it was for, but they, they told me they have. 
Zions Bank uses them for that same financial reasons. Murdoch Hyundai could use Sunprint Solutions because building out either uh, beautiful books for their, you know, waiting rooms. Uh, the store could do it for their clients and distributors. Any printing need you might have, Sunprint Solutions has the answer for you. At Sun, Email Sarah. S-A-R-A at sunprintsolutions.com. It's the largest offset commercial printers in the United States, one of the largest. Uh, they started all the way in 1941, and they now been purchased uh, by Sarah and her partner, 100% woman-owned, only union printing company in Utah, officially licensed to print all sorts of uh, everything. They've done just great work. So digital printing, packaging, fulfillment, direct mail, uh, Great Utah company doing fabulous work. Sarah at sunprintsolutions.com. Life is complicated, especially right now. You're spending more time inside, unable to go to restaurants, and that means you're cooking dinner. But if you're like me, I hate cooking. Multiple trips to the grocery store, hours of monotonous meal prep just so you can scarf down your food in minutes. So when it's dinner time, I grab my phone, open up an app, and order something. But after convenience fees, delivery fees, and who knows whatever other fees, it ends up being close to $100 for two people. But then I met Freshly. Just put up your feet and relax while Freshly chefs and nutritionists do all the hard work. All you do is heat for three minutes and dinner's done. Imagine a better for you golden oven fried chicken, steak peppercorn with sauteed carrots and French green beans, and my personal favorite, buffalo chicken with loaded mashed cauliflower. It's got fewer carbs. That's just a few of the 30-plus health-conscious options to choose from. Freshly understands that food needs to be delicious, healthy, and simple, because let's be honest here, if it's not easy, I'm not going to do it, and if it doesn't taste good, I don't want to eat it. Freshly is offering our listeners $40 off, $40 off for their first two orders at Freshly.com slash LockedOnNBA. That's Freshly.com slash LockedOnNBA. All right, it's time for Time Machine Tuesday. I could do an entire show of all the ways my wife makes fun of Locked on Jazz and me. Um, well, so her, mo- her biggest one is that, like, when we're losing, I come home and doomsday. We're never going to win again. This is da-da-da. And then right now I'm like, our offense is so great. She's like, yeah, doomsdays. But the other one she really, really enjoys to is that I actually have a little thing here with all the numbers for Time Machine Tuesday. She's like, you really do that? I was like, yeah, of course. So let's reach into the bag of numbers and pull one out. We go to 2003 on Time Machine Tuesday. 2003, so the 0203 season for the Utah Jazz. Somebody out there like Tony Parks is immediately saying to themselves, oh, I know that year. That would not be me. 2002, 2003. The season ends with a Western Conference loss in the first round. Oh, this is the Mark Jackson team. Carl Malone, Matt Harpering. Your leading scorers on this team were Carl Malone and Matt Harpering. Andre Karolinka was a 21-year-old. John Stockton was a 40-year-old. Mark Jackson was a played 82 games trying to um, usurp John Stockton's power. This was not a particularly um, good basketball team. They went 47 and 35 over the power of Carl Malone at 39 years old, Stockton at 40. That's incredible. Matt Harpering, 
18.7 rebounds, two assists a game at, uh, and taking two threes a game, hitting 41%. Uh, played 78 games at 26 years old. Calbert Chaney, Scott Padgett, Jaron Collins, Greg Ostertag, Deshaun Stevenson. So let's see what they were doing on January 21st. They lost to the Sacramento Kings in the first round of the playoffs. That's when the crowd in Sacramento rises and gives Stockton the ovation kind of in a cool moment. Uh, on the 21st of January, the Jazz were off. They had won the night before in an overtime game, 106-103 against the New Jersey Nets. It completed a four-game win streak. The Jazz went to 25-15. and They had beat the Supersonics 92-85 a few nights earlier than the Cavaliers and then the Nets last night in a 106-103 game at the then Delta Center in front of, I'm sure, 19,000. Oh, 353 are not sold out. The officials were Tim Donahue was the official of that game. Along with Steve Javi and Scott Wall. 24-11-5 from Malone, who played 48 minutes. It was an overtime game, but no load management there. At 439, Matt Hartbring played 44 minutes, 23 points, 8 rebounds, 2 assists. Stockton, at 40 years old, had 25 points, 2 rebounds, 4 assists, 3 steals. They got very little, 13 from Karolinko and 13 from Massenburg off the bench. Karolinko had 13 points, 10 rebounds, an assist, 2 steals, and 6 blocks. So this is before Boozer and that whole additions to the team. It's before the season where they weren't supposed to be good. The New Jersey Nets, Jason Kidd, Richard Jefferson, Kenyon Martin, Lucius Harris, and Jason Collins. I mean, this is a good Nets team that's 28-12, and and the Jazz win it in overtime, 106-103. Kidd had 33 points, 13 rebounds, and 10 turnovers. Five assists and six steals as well. Richard Jefferson had 18. Kerry Kittles. The Villanova product came off the bench for 22. Brian Scalabrini had six points for the New Jersey Nets in a 106-103 overtime loss. The Nets went three of 19 from three. The Jazz went four of 12. So not a lot of three-point shooting in that one. Uh, Looked like a close game throughout. Jazz were up by two at the first, uh, down by one at the half. Nets were up by three. Jazz outscored them, went to force it to overtime. Let's see if we have any good buzzer beaters. I was in Seattle by now. I do not have a memory of this one. Somebody out there will. That's always the great thing about Time Machine Tuesdays. Someone always emails me. Carl Malone had a layup with 0.6 seconds left after Jason Kidd laid it up and in with 12.3 seconds left. John Stockton missed at the rim with 2.2 seconds left. The mailman tapped it up and in on the offensive rebound to force overtime at 91-91. Mailman had been at the line with a minute 11 left and split the free throws to tie it at 89. Kid missed, then Harpering turned it over with 26 seconds left, leading the kid to a layup at the rim with 12 seconds left to put the Nets up by two, but it was Malone's follow on a Stockton miss with two seconds left that forced overtime, and then the Jazz free throw shooting did most of the damage late in the game. The Jazz took a 103-99 lead when Stockton was fouled. Let's see. Harpering hits two free throws. Wow, the Jazz just lived at the line. Jazz got up 195 on a Karolinko tip-in. Kid put it to three points with 48 seconds left. Jazz worked the clock down, and Harpering got fouled with 29 seconds left. He made one of two free throws to make it a four-point game. 
Kid misses a three, and Aaron Williams taps it in to make it 101-99, but we're under 24 seconds left, so they have to foul. Stockton makes both free throws. Kid lays it up and in. Stockton goes back to the line, makes both free throws. Kid lays it up and in. Stockton goes back to the line, splits the free throws with seven seconds left, and Jason Kidd misses a three at the horn that would have forced double overtime, and the Jazz win it. 106-103, the geriatric crew pulling off the nice win and going to a four-game win streak on Time Machine Tuesday. How fun is that? They would lose their next three. That's all right. They probably were worn out after 48 minutes and 49 minutes at 40 years old. That is Time Machine Tuesday. This is Locked on Jazz. Tuesdays, Rejecting the Screen always comes out with a new episode. So tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of podcast, Rejecting the Screen. Have a great one. Rejecting the screen has been retweeted by Kobe, Dame Lillard, and Vince Carter. So it's fair to say you should give it a shot. I'm Noah Kozlov. And I'm Adam Stanko. Rejecting the screen hits your feet every Tuesday and Thursday. On Tuesday, we talk hoops and a little bit of life. On Thursday, we go ISO with a guest. Stories from anyone and everyone who has touched the NBA with tales we promise you've never heard before. Find Rejecting the Screen right now wherever you get podcasts and hit that subscribe button.